Today on the show, we have Salvador Picasso, otherwise known as Chava, from La Luna Mezcal. Um, I just wanted to go over a couple items that we discussed quickly. Um, so the bricks level is the amount of sucrose to liquid. So basically, it's the sugar content of a plant. And as we all know, sugar is vital for yeast growth, which converts sugar to alcohol. That's a very basic definition. I'll include a couple links on the website for you guys to look into that further. Um, the other term we talk a lot about is silvestre, which basically means wild. So when we're talking about silvestre agaves, that means wild agaves in the wild instead of cultivated. And um, Gabs, we talk about another agave species that I know you truly enjoy. Well, you know, this is a very simple term, but I think it's absolutely worth mentioning. That is manso de saguayo. Manso is directly uh, translate to tame and tame is not something not from the wild, something that has been domesticated. And Sawayo is the region. So th for something to be called the Manso de Sawayo is an agave americana that has been domesticated and 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 used uh, planted thoroughly. Uh, so Manso de Sawayo is the, the, the colloquial name that you will hear of this americana for La Luna Mezcal. Awesome. All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening. Um, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Drop us a line, hola at tuyo.nyc. Hit us up on Instagram. And thanks so much for listening. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Hey Hey Agave. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Salvador Picasso Chavez, or better known as Chava. Hello, Chava. Hello. Nice to have you with us. And Gabrielle, hello. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. So, Chava, you are the founder and president of Puente Internacional, um, as well as founder of La Luna Mezcal and also uh, Gustoso Aguardiente Rum, correct? That's correct. Um, and you guys also have another brand, although you're not the founder of that, the Tequila uh, Grandovejo. That's correct. Tequila Grandovejo from Marandas, Jalisco. Cool. I'm so happy I got all that down. So you're a pretty busy dude. It, it it tends to be it, it tends to be pretty busy and 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 just to <laughs> circle back up. Thank you guys for having me on. Oh, thanks so much for coming on. You know, it's um it's so cool because we were connected. I believe it was through Farron um, Salnicker. I I think so. Is that right? Is that I how guess, we got to know each other? That, I, yes, we did the um one of those uh, happy hours on Friday. I think that's how we yeah. first met. Yeah, yeah. and then we popped the, over the Michoacan trip with them. Yes, that's right as well. Correct. Because they Correct. they took uh, they did a mescalistas tour in Michoacan. Yeah. Yeah, with with I think Renee was on there. A few other people that that you well probably everyone you guys know, and then so some West Coast, Midwest, and then East Coasters. Yeah, yeah, and then we had uh, the pleasure of joining you for one of your Instagram uh, live sessions that you sort of uh, spontaneously started doing um, when we all got locked inside, right? Yeah, and you know, I kind of miss them. I, I, I was uh, happy that it, there was a little bit of a break. It was, you know, as, as I'm sure you guys know with, with scheduling all these things, it can get um, pretty intense, but um, now I'm missing them. I feel like I need to get back on that. 
I miss them too. Any yeah. plans? Or are you just too busy now? To, no, no, to no. I think that for well, it, it really just depends. I mean, for me, at one point, I realized when the world gets back to normal, hopefully soon, I figured um, I could probably keep up once a week. But still, you know, once a week, have one guest, keep it, you know, go deep and and yeah. and, and talk through all those those things we were talking through. I would I would be happy. Definitely. I mean, we would be happy to have you back. You know, it it comes really naturally to you. And so it's a pleasure to hear you talk to people, um, which Thank I'm you. sure if anybody anybody listening, if, if you have a chance to to check out. Um, what were you calling them? There was like a name. Ora, there, right? Ora Alegre. So it's just it, just a play Alegre, on. Yeah. It's the same. I've always done that in my life. I always feel like if it's if it's normal, I want to make it abnormal. And so then I just switch it up. And it's not really that abnormal. It's just it's in Spanish, you know, so it was Ora Alegre yeah. instead of happy hour and. I, 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 I tend to do that, but you know, in all fairness, cause I know some people have, have mentioned to me that they feel like I, I, I spoke well on them or whatever I had. I've, I've fortunately for me, I've had some, some practice in public speaking. And I had a, one time with my father, I had a show called Los Tocayos at, in the, cause my dad's also Salvador, um, here in Sonoma and the local radio, we did a show, um, every Tuesday. And so we did, you know, that broke that broke it out for me to, to be able to speak in the mic. Yeah, that's really cool. What was the show? What was the show about? I, at the time I was on the school board and I'm still active on two nonprofit boards. And so it was on, for me, it was, uh, to speak on kind of the community and, and, and that aspect of it, you know, what parents could call in and ask things related to schools and it was all in Spanish. And then my father, um, would, would talk about Cruz Azul and soccer and he, you know, the, it was, it was really, it was really cool because he developed like this, this popularity where people would call and lit, I mean, he probably consumed 60% of the show just talking about someone missing a penal or the game and they can't believe that the, the, the outcome was that. And so it was, it was kind of cool. It was fun. And it was, it was nice for me and him to have a, a dedicated, um, moment uh, at least once a week where we would hang out no one else in the room you know so it was really nice. yeah oh that does how long did that go on for i think we did her about a year and a half before and it was really interesting it was right right around the time i went there was starting but not that busy yet and then it really became really busy and i just told my dad I said you know i really can't keep this up and um my sister yeah. who also was very very involved she's older and she was the one kind of got me into working with community she was going to do it for a while, but at the, at the end of the day, my dad was kind of like, oh, you know, like if you're too busy, maybe Betsy might be too busy. Like, let's just kind of call it quits for now. So we did. But, you know, I'm, I'm sure he cried. He loved it. He loved it. He always called me <laughs> every Tuesday morning, making sure I wasn't going to be late and that I was going to be there. So I he, love it. Yeah, he really dug it. That's that's really cool. Well, you know, now that we we can do stuff a little bit more remotely, maybe, you know, one day you'll be guys will be able to pick that up again. I would love it. You know, it was fun. It was fun. Uh, my my, it, I haven't been able to insert them all the way. Just family things with uh, challenges in 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 life. Um, but my dad, I know when it's all said and done, will end up being kind of like a cornerstone of everything I'm doing because first and foremost he is the one that was born in Cotija, Michoacan with his family being from there. So that's why I'm from there. Right. So my mm -hmm. roots start with him being from there and he knows it and he's, you know, super proud. Um, and I, he just hasn't had the time or the ability to get involved. But, and honestly, I haven't even been able to really take him down there to, to, to witness kind of everything we've done. And so I, I'm hoping that this year we, we change that. But I know at one point when, when he maybe can retire or maybe take a little bit, 
less time in actual work, he'll, he'll probably be on the streets with me, probably selling, selling La Luna and selling <laughs> Gustoso and be super happy to do it. When you were growing up, um, what, what, what does your dad do? What did your folks do? Um, growing up or right now? Uh, both. Um, well, let's actually, start, with, let's start it, with growing up. In all fairness, actually, he's doing the same things while I was growing up. Well, when we, when he first immigrated here, um, and this was, uh, two years before I was born, he was in the dairy farm, dairy farming. So he was working on dairy farms and I was born into that. Um, so, uh, up until I was in preschool, uh, he was a dairy farmer. So it's a pretty tough lifestyle, you know, waking up really odd hours and milking cows and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we moved to Sonoma because my mother who was cleaning houses, um, one of her, um, bosses or one of the houses she she did um it was a pretty wealthy family from the from the tennessee area and one of her nephews was going to move to sonoma and buy a prop an estate essentially and they needed a property manager someone to come and uh take care of the property and just do upkeep and and all things that relate to to managing the property and my mom proposed it to my dad. My dad was super reluctant, didn't want to do it. And my mom finally won that, that argument. And we moved to Sonoma. And my dad actually still works since then with, uh, in the, on that same estate. So he's been there for, man, it's been 20 plus years for sure. Oh, wow. Did they live on the estate too? or did Yeah, you guys, they still live um... there. Yeah, they, they're, they're, they're oh, the wow. first house on the property. So if anyone needs to go into the property, they, had, they need to go through my parents essentially. And and uh-huh. uh, then my dad on a day to day, you know, he's either mowing lawns or, you know, uh, pulling weeds or managing the pool, just whatever the family needs. It's kind of like the surrogate for, for them on any of their, yeah. their needs and necessities. And and it's interesting because, you know, it, it is hard work. You know, he has to do a lot of uh, heavy lifting rocks and you name it. And but he always told me when he was there that he always found that work to be easier than his youth when he was when he was young, because on the farm in Cotija, they were working since they were, I don't know, probably four or five and, you know, out there uh, planting seeds and, uh, you know, tending to their livestock and, um, you know, what they ate what they grew, you know, and so it was mm-hmm. their job as men mm-hmm. to bring that that all the, the vegetables and everything to the house. And it was his sister's jobs with their mom to make tortillas and cook the beans and all that stuff. So they, they lived that kind of traditional lifestyle up in, in the hills, in the sierras of Cotija. Everybody's working. Was your mom yeah. from uh, Cotija as no. well? No, they, she is actually from uh, Ecatepec in uh, the Estado de Mexico. And mm-hmm. what happened was at one point, my there was some, some violence going on in Cotija um, that kind of involved some of my family and my grandpa opted to take his kids. Um, they first went to Veracruz, if I'm not mistaken. And then from there, they moved to the Estado de Mexico. And my dad moved into the same colonia as my mom. I've seen that like oh. literally across the street in the same, like it was like a dead end street. I visited plenty of times. And uh, um, so that's how they actually met. So my mom's actually oh, from okay. the Estado de Mexico. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, so how, so you grew up in Sonoma. Uh-huh. Um, how, how did you get involved in Mezcal? Like, I mean, what was the, like, were you drinking it? You know, no, like was, when you would go back and visit family in Mexico or how yeah, that happen? So it was more so my family drinking it. I was always more of a witness to it. I didn't really understand the spirit, um, very much a novice to it. But it, it, you know, every time we would go back to Cotija, it would be my dad, his his dad, my grandfather, um, my, my aunts and uncles alike. They would all be, 
you know, munching on some cotija cheese that our family made and sipping some mezcal. Typically, it was bruto from that region. And um, mm-hmm. and so that was kind of like the natural pairing for our family. And I witnessed this, you know, growing up, growing up. And at one point, probably, I don't know, maybe when my cousin got married, um, what was that, maybe eight maybe 10 years ago was maybe when I first really was introduced to doing it that way and, and sipping it. And, but I wasn't really privy to mezcal at all. I didn't really understand it. Didn't know it. Um, and it just became this thing where as mezcal was growing, um, I, I, I became aware kind of that everything was coming from Oaxaca. Like that was kind of the dialogue. And so for me, it kind of was like, well, I know that Michoacan produces mezcal. So, I want to go back to Michoacan and represent the state in terms of uh, what it offers in Mezcal. And that's how it started. It really started as me just taking a flight down there and uh, kind of blindly going into it um, with one. You weren't, call. you weren't in spirits before that. No, or not at all. I was in the restaurant world. I was in the restaurant world slash entrepreneurship, um, which just was, was creating things that didn't work and some things that might have, <laughs> you know, so um it, and that was kind of my life and so my my journey kind of took me there that was like my next endeavor if you will and uh i i landed in morelia and it, i've never looked back not not since and that was like uh later 2014 early 2015 the brands that were offered in the market at that point 2014 and 2015 were nothing like what is offered at the moment not even now. close yeah. yeah. So no. were you, were, did you see an, an opening or were you like, Hey man, I know that like, you know, my people down there, like I can figure something out to make this happen. It was kind of a, a little bit of both. I've, I've, I, you know, in dealing with people, especially after my first visit, I, I, I knew that I could make something of that visit and, and of what was going on. Um, even to date though, which is funny cause you're absolutely right. Like the amount of brands on the market back then, I feel like we're less than 10. And now, I mean, I don't think we can keep up, you know, we're over a hundred. I'm yeah. sure. I don't know how many really, I, I should know the number, but what if you count destilados and then the certified, like between both of those, it's a lot, you know, and, but that mm-hmm. even being the case, there's still not a lot of representation from Michoacan, you know, like that, that, and that, that might be true of Durango and other Zacatecas. There's there, the concentration of brands has still focused on Oaxaca. So we're still kind of an outlier. I think that the number was, it's over ninety percent of mezcal that makes it to to the U.S. is from Oaxaca. I know that. What mm-hmm. what what ninety what? I'm not quite sure. But we make up mm-hmm. a you know a, a sliver of a sliver, really. You know, we're we're just a a small piece to a state that doesn't have a lot of representation. So it's it's still qu- quite open in that sense, the the market, but not the the, the Oaxacan uh, representation up here definitely exists a lot more heavy. How, Agreed. How do you yeah. connect it to the people that are? producing la luna so uh, i think that the story gets deeper but like when i first went i was just working with isidro isidro perez scott he was the one he's the one on our um black label uh, cuprieta uh, our 750 which has been our our kind of uh our number one skew in the sense of volume um but when it came to the other ones um it just became a, a thing of friends you know like i think the one thing that 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 farron really captured really well in that piece that she wrote about our brand was that we have a very young team and it's because we were all homies, but just like, I, I came to the table at some point, um, later on, this was probably two years ago, maximum. And I was like, I really want to expand what we're doing. Cause all we were really doing was at Cuprieta, which was cool. You know, it was obviously growing and we were growing as a brand a little bit. And, um, that, that specific expression was heavily used in cocktailing, 
um, did really well in retail, especially in Chicago. Um, but on a personal level, I wanted to do much more than that. And so it became my homework to figure out how to do that. So of my age group, we're like, we were all friends, we're Hernan, Higi, um, and, and that was because I met them through Isidro. They're all connected as family, and they all have the history of, of making mezcal. But that's when it would be like, hey, if I brought this maguey, if I bought it, would you would you produce it like tahiki? Yeah, for sure. And then then we started kind of going that route and just ourselves and, you know, coming together and saying, like, let's do this. Let's do that. And so that's how the involvement of our expressions and our line really developed. It was more through that kind of collaborative so effort. Did you became a little bit of a production manager? Like, uh, yeah, it's, it's not just not just being the brand owner, but also correct facilitating the piñas to come to the to the they call them palenques in Michoacan, uh, vinatas, vinatas. Yeah, yeah, yes. The, to answer your question, I think that's spot on. I think that's more. I was orchestrating that work, and we all kind of had to figure out what we were doing. You know, and I th I find that that's what because as good as some of the you know some people really like some of our ex new expressions. As good as they are today, I, I wholeheartedly believe that we're only going to get better because it's it's a young team. We're all really intent on making great product, um, and we're not scared to – obviously, they, they trust me. And so if I say, hey, let, let's try this, or what do you want to do? Like They're like, hey, why don't we do an ensemble? Like right now, we just did a, it's a small batch of uh, uh, Chino and Mantos Hawaii. We've never done that expression. But like they, they were like, yeah, let's do it. And it was more like Hernan really like, hey, we have the maguey. Why, why don't we do that? Would you care to do it that way instead of waiting for more of Manso? I'm like, yeah, dude, let's do it. Well, if you want to do it, let's do it. And so, yeah, it, it, I, I love our, our team and I love our effort because it feels so uh, we're all all a part of it. You know, we're all going hand in hand on this on this journey to do it. But and the reality is that every day we're working on the Cuprieta, which really has been the the driving force. But behind us being able to employ so many people which is in hand in hand one of the things that i'm most passionate about so you know uh it's kind of like my 1b to the 1a of the brand you know so um i i we all we all hold the cupeta to to kind of high regard because it does that as like an economic force and then on the other hand it's like this um romance to be able to tell the story of michoacan and its diversity of agave a lot deeper a lot better through its smaller expressions unique agave you know different we're going to come out with a pulquero i you know i don't know of a, another pulquero from michoacan that's represented up here that's and that's because we found salmiana in in pascuaro in, in another another small town you know but that it wasn't it wasn't on our radar until we found it you know well you can see there well you can see there your cupriata like the espadino oaxaca yeah, in terms of availability and focus, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think I, I, the studies have shown, and we obviously all the time do it. Um, the bricks level on Espadín is higher, and, and there's a lot of different characteristics in Espadín, um, you know, an angustifolia. But uh, the cupreta, in terms of like access, there everyone is replanting it. Everyone's planting it. I think it's become such a big part of the the mezcalero economy out there in Michoacán is. There's always more seed to be sold or people planting, um, selling three-year-old, two-year-old cuprietas. So, you know, we're talking about the plants. We're talking about your your participation as some sort of project manager or or even just like lead on, on production and ideas. Um, but 
there's also a very specific thing. You're saying that your your cooperative is like your 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 you know number one, mm-hmm. and this has a very specific flavor. This has a very specific profile that people are starting to like a lot. Um, tell me a little bit of the red soil of the area because I I wanna I wanna link this flavor to even that it's farmed. You still have a different kind of terroir happening just because you're in Michoacan and people should understand a little bit more about this. Yeah, you know, being a coastal state, uh, you know, the the a lot of the soils of Michoacan are charanda soils, right? So vibrant, red, rich, kind of like similar to arandas, what everyone always points to arandas in the highlands of having the best soil for Blue Weber. Um, I think it holds true. The soils of Michoacan have a, a certain fertility to it that... Um, you know, I don't think it's a it's it's a coincidence that everything grows in Michoacan, right? Like almost all of our produce, the diversity of produce we have in the states comes from there. Citrus, avocados, we're the avocado capital of the world. Um, all these factors, I think, all these things tie into the the soils being perfect for planting and growing um, agave. And and I, I've I've been witness to a lot of different agaves now in Michoacan. Um, the vast majority, I would say, in diversity. And the soils are always just premium and all the farmers are really happy with them. And there's a lot of, you know, in, in Cotija specifically, um, there's this concept like where we're from, the Hacienda, it's called Ojos de Agua. And the reason they call it that is because a lot of water, as they say, nace allí, it's born there, right? Like there's so much access to water just through slight digging into dirt, making the soils very loose sometimes, maybe a little too loose, but also just very... Uh, fertile, you know, very appropriate for growing. And so I, I think that a lot of that, that um, a lot of those qualities are obviously what I think enhances some of the flavor of, of the um, agave, as well as I would say this, because of all of the fruit um, um, and diversity in Michoacan um, and all of its different pockets and cities and towns, um, we talk about the wild yeast and those terroirs and how that influences our fermentations. I think that that's a, an aspect that maybe doesn't get talked about enough, right? At times. Absolutely. Because, oh, yeah. Uh, we've been trying to bring that topic up in like every podcast we've rec- recorded yeah. lately because I think it is really important to talk uh, about. You know, I, I love what we're doing for this reason. Being that it's the same team of, 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 of guys always moving from Vinata to Vinata working, um, what we're able to represent in certain lotes, if we do a lote of Manta Sawayo and Ida Parapeo, and then we do another one in Cotija, same group, same everything, like it, it's going to be different. And I think we get to mm-hmm. tell a unique story because it's not just, you know, it's not anymore just about seasonality or certain things. It's about just literally the region because now it's the same hands doing it. Obviously, there's a million factors that go into mezcal every single time, which makes it such an art and such a beautiful spirit. But w- I think we, we have a very unique opportunity because of that kind of uh, a footprint of vinatas that we have in three different areas where we get to, to say, hey, this one was here, this one was here, same time, same region, maybe a week apart in starting the productions. Try them out. See what you think. Are and, you, and that, I think that'll be really cool. Are you dividing Are you dividing the production? Are you dividing yeah, the, the lots and, and then blending together for no. having like a... How, 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 because you're, um, you're producing the most cupriata from all of the other species, right? Oh, yes. From the cupriata, yes. That's the one that I would say is... is uh, I always kind of differentiate what we do in two ways, the cupreta and then everything else. Because okay. the cupreta would be the one where we would bring lotes together and et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of different 
you know, that's the one that if anything might have a synergy where it's like a little bit more consistent in quality, just because we're doing it all the time. It's pretty much the same recipe and the sense of hours and the sense of all those things where the other ones are much more things that we're doing from feel and, and just like what's going on with the fermentation, with the cuts, et cetera. Um, and so due to that, you know, it's a lot more easy and appropriate for us to bring Lotus together with the Cuprieta as, as it's growing in volume. I, w- I was trying to figure out this in, in just one way. When you hear Spadin in Oaxaca and when you hear blending and when you hear bigger lots and may- like when, when you hear 5,000 liters and above yeah. uh, from most of the bigger brands or m- medium brands, they have figured out a way to produce, to uh, blend bigger batches and then that is your that is your you know your product that is consistent and then you're saying that you have manso bruto tequilana chino uh i think those are the ones that i remember um and then pulquero now yeah and the pulquero that is coming with uh so with the cupreata when you're doing production and you're doing the the bigger volumes mm-hmm. how and this is a tricky question how big do you think the radio of where the piñas come from? Like, do you have like a, an idea of how many, for example, I, I know from other brands, like, you know, uh, one of the brands that I know is they, they have a 150 mile, 150 kilometer radio. So an hour and a half and plus, two hours plus from the farthest point that the, the, the agave will come to the Palenque. Do you have an idea of what oh, your Priata yeah. radio is? Uh, I don't have the exact number, but it's far. It's, 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 uh, man, at least 10 hours, whatever that becomes that, whatever that becomes in, 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 uh, in travel distance. I, that's a good question. I'll, I'll get you a better answer in terms of radius, but it's, you know, we, we have different people we work with that we have a relationship with and some are really close in terms of, 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 yeah. of proximity. And then some are a lot farther, like the one, the family that has a, that's coming from the farthest. I think they have, they told us 3,200 hectares of Cuprieta growing. So, yeah. you know, it's a lot. So not just their property alone, not let alone the drive to bring it to us. It's a good amount. And honestly, before we even had this new Vinata, which you guys saw in the video when I was, I was in, um, uh, in the Parapel like two weeks ago, it, we, it was an issue because when big truckloads come, as you guys know, with, with oven sizes, you know, maybe, you know, it depends four tons to eight tons. Like, how many different tapadas would it take to yeah. get get your the cooking done? So then agave dries out, and it's not the most practical thing. So I'm I'm really happy about our new vineta being ready because it helps us out a lot. But I'm thinking like you have you have mountains, you have different soils, you have different pretty much different microclimates in Michoacan. The same way that if you will say I produce in, uh, for example, Tosvaque that does Sierra Sierra Norte, and then you yeah. have Matatlan that is Central Valley, and the taste of the espadín is completely different. So mm-hmm. for you to be able to maintain certain profile flavor consistent ish, right? Mm-hmm. And are you waiting for to have more or less the same amount from the different places that you do, or you just whatever is coming, you guys are blending in and kind of trying to figure out for the profile? I would say that the last part you said is probably the most accurate. As it comes is how we're taking it. But okay. I would say this. I feel like we're not as focused on control as much as maybe other brands might be because as much as we find value and consistency because the market might 
pressure us to find consistency because they might say, hey, if we're making a cocktail for the winter menu, we don't want it to taste different the second time we buy it. Okay, understood. I hear you. But I think we make a bigger focus on making sure that if it does taste different, that we can explain why and help people understand that it's close to impossible to get complete consistency in mezcal, yes. like complete. So I, yes. I look for this thing where I always tell people, look, what you're tasting, let's just let me commit to maybe 80% consistency and overlap in flavors, right? So you'll probably always get the citrusy flavors, the florals, but other funky notes might come up and other things might come up. There was one batch specifically that, you know, if you think about cocktailing, that was really like uh, much more blue cheese, cotija cheese than any other batch we had had. And it threw a curveball in the whole arena because everyone was like, what the heck? Like, Matt, yeah, you, si- just, you, you sip this. You, you don't yeah. put it on a cocktail. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, but it challenged their cocktail menu. And I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. But they're like, you know what? Literally, I, I was a little concerned. I was like, you know, we're going to lose business and it's going to affect a lot of things. And, and, but they, they forgave us in the sense that they're like, well, you know what? This allows us to tell us a cool story to our staff and the staff to the customers. So let us just roll with it. Don't change the cases. Don't worry about it. We'll modify our cocktail a little bit to make sure. And I really appreciated that because I think that it really spoke to the level of, of understanding of that staff and those accounts that they cared enough about the integrity of a, of a, of a category to not, not, yeah, I don't know what would be the right word to not, um, uh, doom us due to that issue, you know, to not necessarily yeah, say you guys are wrong. It's like they really appreciate the value of what you guys are providing. Yeah. Um, and, and, and they're also, it shows their creativity as well, I think, um, and the artisanship involved and flexibility, because I know that Gabs and I have both heard recently from a situation that was similar to a different, you know, batch tasting a different way and, and people not being very happy about that. So yeah, uh, kudos to, to who you are working with. I think, you know, those partnerships are the ones you want to cultivate. There's, 100%. There 100%. is a lot of education from your side as production and, and, and brand and, and representative, most likely, of a region that is not that well known, but not just for the flavor, the flavor profile of a brand. I think it's Michoacán, as, as many other states of every, every state in Mexico, has such a deep, deep cultural uh, history that will come into play when you're talking about the taste and the flavors and the, and the you know, you're talking about being the, the aguacate uh, capital of the world. Yeah, I don't think people can picture that there are plenty of aguacate trees growing up and then you see the, the agaves, the, the silvestres, uh, just on the shadow of, of these big trees because trees are not like, I, I don't think people can understand unless you look for it where how food grows in in countries that is not the states you know is is a much wilder setup yes agree and, 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 and you have you have your trees and they're not in a road they're in a they're in a hill or in you know whatever environment is on and then you have your agaves that they're growing through the foothill or in the inclines of these hills with the trees on and many other plants going around like i i i, I will love you I would love for you to paint a little bit of this uh, a scenario for people to understand how it looks. You know, I think that the dynamic of the word silvestre is really captured really well in Michoacán. To, yeah, to your point, Gabs, like, I think that uh, while things have improved and maybe bigger companies have come in and made things a little bit more industrial, 
the farmers are still the farmers and, and people, because the way it works, even like, for example, in the avocado world, like there's empacadoras, right? So like really the farmers are continually, continuously just the farmers. And then they're putting together all of their avocados, selling it by the pound, just like they sell agave by the kilo, right? Or by the kilo, really everything by the kilo. And then they're giving it to an empacadora who's actually putting it in a box. So there's not a lot of, I don't know of a lot of brands of avocados that are like, uh, that maybe are also the farmers and they have their own brand and they import it that way. It's usually an empacadora and their brand who brings it up, right? So the farmers have still kept their kind of silvestre nature of work the same. You know, they didn't modify it a lot. It's their comfortability, you know, within like, it, you know, I we, we have a presentation we do when we talk to new distributors or anyone interested in learning more about our brand. And the two first pictures, three, the first three pictures that we have are of Michoacan kind of agriculture. It's actually one the one picture that says "Welcome to to uh, Michoacan from La Luna Mezcal" is a picture of me. We were in Cotija. I was holding on to my cousin's truck on the back, and and someone caught the picture from the back when we're driving through our family's avocado orchard. Some of my family has avocado orchards, but within it, you see other crops, right? Like it's more about you know maximizing spaces, and and I feel like most of the time when people were actually planting including my family, it was a, kind of with the understanding that they were planting for actually feeding themselves from it, right? Not just an economic uh, transaction. And I, and, I, and that's why I feel like farmers and, and, and the nature of, of, of their layout is because of that, is they're doing it to the, to the best of their abilities for what they think is important, which is the, their family, you know what I mean? And obviously a lot of people grew and, 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 and a lot of people have grown their crops and now they have maybe more sophisticated version, but that's why even for myself in, our, in that same presentation I was talking about, I always make it a point to show people a couple of our areas where we have cultivated cuprieta and then what it looks like when it's wild, because you know how we have the expression, the Chino Silvestre. Um, there was multiple reasons why that expression was a lot more expensive. Ultimately, you know, breaking down yields, like it yielded a lot less. Yeah, sure. That was one factor. But even the ability to go out and in, into uh, uh, the greater area to go scout and figure out which agaves were actually mature, which weren't from the wild agaves, it takes time. It takes days, mm -hmm. it, you know, to be able, you know, I tell people, look at this area. You see this area? This is our cultivated area. As you can tell, there's some synergy and size. A lot of a lot of them look the like the similar age. We could we could get eight tons of full oven load in three hours from here. You know, we go in park. There's accessibility in the road. You back up your truck. We're loading it up. We're taking it to the to the Orno. The Orno's probably ready. We're covering it. We're ready to rock and roll. But with the Silvestre, it was like a game of really figuring stuff out. You know, day one, okay, this area had a little bit more. Day two, okay, now let's take, um, uh, let, let, let's take the the, uh, the everybody over there to get 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 the agave out. Some areas were a little bit tougher, so we had to get get, get our bestias to go in there and, and get it out with the bestia. So it took days. It took days. It took wages. It took efforts. Um, it took, it, so it takes a lot more time to do these things from from um, a Silvestre perspective, and I and think it's good for people how to much, notice it. You don't and really that's the one that you guys bottle as Chino, correct? That's right. Like exactly. The, that the, wild, yeah. the wild Cupriata. And you, never, right. you never know how much you're going to be able to find in this correct. expeditions, if you want to call it like that. And, and you know, you were, you were mentioning something earlier today that it, it caught my ear. You said that somebody in the team said, should we do an ensemble? 
and it was also because they you were waiting to be able to procure more raw material to be able to do a full run. Mm-hmm. But most of the time when we have talked to other people, if, in different brands, it doesn't really matter. Like it, it probably will be with every single person that we talk. There's there's a little bit of, of this understanding that el, el mezcal de campo and the, the farm mezcal that it was done for many, many, many generations was mm-hmm. with what it was available and ready. Yeah, and, what we would call a field blend. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and that this will be kind of like the case. Like you guys have certain amount of things, certain amount of agave ready of each of... There were two two varieties. You said you say Cupriata and something else. The Manso Saguayo. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that that I, I think that that's 100% true. And, and almost, to be very specific, the Salmiana batch kind of came together that way as well, where one town um, had a Salmiana that's a lot more like Ceniso, that, that the color was, and the other one was a lot more like green of like the darker kind of pine looking green like that's much more familiar to like san luis potosi for example and we contemplated doing a batch of just the green one and then then the other one but there wasn't enough agave so we're like well let's blend them together but we'll be very specific about it you know like the the label say pulquero but we can at least specify that it was x amount of tons from this town and it was a ceniso style and then this one was over here this type right yeah. And, you know, just because I, you know, it, it's just cool to be in that position to be able to, to make those decisions with our team and be able to execute on them. Um, and, and, and kind of in, in harmony, you know what I mean? It's, it's kind of nice. And, and we, we've alleviated a lot of the pressure from some of the, like, in, like he, for example, as, as someone that works with us, he still does his own thing. Like, he, you know, he has his own vinata and if he needs to produce for himself or his family, for other, other things that he does for on a personal level, he does that. And then when he comes with us, he has no pressure of having to go pay for that agave, buy that agave. He comes with us, you know, once again, like when we first came together as friends, it was, that's what it was. And if Nan actually worked with us full time, that's just, that's actually his uncle, but they're like, actually, Nan's younger, so it's kind of weird, but you know how that goes. Um, but they call each other Pri, so I, I always call them cousins. Um, and Nan <laughs> works with us full time, and it's, and, and you know, as, as a part of our team, it just makes it a little bit more efficient. So... This is really good because I wanted to kind of understand a little bit better how you guys are functioning. Like, how many mezcaleros are you working with? Um, it all seems like they're kind of young guys like you are. Um, and then also, I know that you've built this new giant vinata. Mm-hmm. So how how is this all um, working out from, like, I guess the way that the origin was of how you guys started to, to where you see yourselves going now? I think that um, our listeners will find it really fascinating about how you've managed to, to work all these people into um, into La Luna and, and, and all the expressions that you make. Yeah. So to answer your first question uh, of of all. All the people listed on labels, almost all of them being family, Abelardo, Isidro, Higi, Higi, Higi is Abelardo's son, and then Hernan, um, they, so four, right? Um, but realistically speaking, Hernan's the one that really wanted to stick with us full time. Like he was like, no, I, this is what I want to do. You know, I want to be with you guys and work full time. And not that Higi doesn't, or, but like proximity and different details about their family, like they, they, they have their own priorities and it's great. You know, we're, we're all, we're all one, one big family in that sense. Um, but essentially when I, I was able to become a dual citizen because my parents were born in Mexico 
And once I became a dual citizen, it was like my intention to maybe grow, grow my footprint down there. I really, I, the honest truth is I had no idea how much Mezcato was going to like rope me in. I had no idea how much Mexico was going to rope me in. I, I, I never envisioned this being the path that was going to be taken. I, I thought just like maybe probably uh, so many other people that go into the business for procurement that I would procure mezcal, I would bring it up and I would sell it. And there's obviously an economic benefit to that, right? Like it just seemed very simple. But, and even then, you know, just when I first wanted to go down there, my parents were kind of upset. They were, they were kind of confused, angry. Um, you know, we worked so hard to get up here to make a life so you didn't have to go back what the hell, you know, why, what are you doing? But now that's not the case. They're super happy, super proud, but like they're, I mean, still concerned at times when I travel, but I just didn't know. I had no idea. Like if you would have asked me four years ago, Hey, Sal, would you ever move to, uh, to, um, uh, Mexico and live there? I've been like, no, I don't think so. You know, like I probably go visit mm-hmm. whatever, but now it's like Java's moving to Mexico. Like that actually is a possibility. So long as is my family's on board, like I, I, I wouldn't mind at all. And so that's really what happened. And when I became a dual citizen, I got more involved in Mexico and that's when our next step in the process really took place. And the people that wanted to work with us and rally with us, that's who I, you know, I, I never want to force anyone to work with me or, you know, like if, if, if you like the, the feel, if you dig it, like, let's go, you know, hand in hand, I'm, I've always been a team guy. I played basketball my whole life. Um, it's kind of how I rolled, you know, and um, and even when it came to restaurants and, you know, the other stuff I did professionally, um, that's kind of the, the the style of of leadership, if you will. And so for me, that's what really took us to this level of thinking we were going to grow. Our markets were growing in the U.S. And this new Vinata really became a representation of that growth. Um, cause other vinatas are, are, you know, uh, one oven, three alambiques, um, in Cotija, we have one oven, uh, tres alambiques Filipinos, like the, the wood ones. And then we have the four, uh, the, the barro. And then in the mm-hmm. we have the three, the Filipino, but this one obviously is much bigger. And, but the big thing for me was as we were growing was, I don't want to change what we're really trying to capture, which is traditional mezcal, you know, yes. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of frowns to the idea that maybe our binata is bigger and maybe not as traditional as other ones that have been visited. But what, what, what will not be said is that we took shortcuts into making an artisanal product because the facets are still the same. You know, the, the, all of the, the inputs of how we're doing it are the exact same way, whether we're doing it with the three stills in one place or whether it's this facility. So that was really the nature of it. And I think that's when it became exciting. I think when people started seeing that, our team grew and we have a lot of young guys in Inda Parapel. Hernan is like their leader. He's the one that, that like on these new labels, his name's on them because he's the one that actually made these productions. Um, mm-hmm. And and there's some guys who, you know, they live, they're from the small town that, that they didn't have a lot of employment. And so we're very proud to be able to employ people. But more importantly, we've converted some thinking. Some guys who were like, hey, I want to go be a mechanic. Now they're like, no, no, no. I want to be a part of this team. They're like 17, 18, 20, you know what I mean? Super young. And they're like, they're I want to learn how to make yeah. mezcal. I want to learn about, and now they're making decisions. You know, they're, they're the ones that tell us when the ordinal's ready and why is it ready and, you know, things like that. Like, I, I, it's just a completely different thing because I would see it that while Hernan, because he's with us full time, might be the component of the um, generational mezcalero family. You know what I mean? Because he would be the one that actually has that 
that title from the perspective of his family historically making mezcal. Mm-hmm. I I would love to think that one day my kids would like to continue what I've done, you know. So it's a not maybe I would love to think one day I'm going to go down there and be a part more of the productions, and I definitely is one of my intentions. But like I hope my kids see what what we've done with with this beautiful spirit and say I want to continue to do this in that sense, you know, because it's so it's just like a different feel. I feel like I'm recapturing what was never mine because I was born up here by going mm-hmm. back to Mexico. Whereas, you know, uh, for other people, it's different. Yeah. I think that connection back to your culture and your heritage too is, I know, I know we've talked about it privately together, but I think it's worth saying here because I think you and Gabrielle share that, um, you know, in, in both of uh, your stories of, of living in the States, um, at least for you being born here and for Gabrielle, the majority of his adult life, yeah. but then finding this connection back home, back to Mexico and being able to invest and, and, and work in both in both countries, really, that's what we're talking about, you know? Yeah. And I, and I hope, I hope that this year, especially we can, um, take our footprint in Mexico to the next level. Like, you know, that, that, that's more, yes, there's business to be had. And from that perspective, that's why you, that's, that's why you want to do it. But for me on a personal mm-hmm. level, I would love our brand to be associated with Mexico commerce. Like with people saying, Oh yeah, I've had this, I've had this brand in Mexico city or in Guadalajara or, you know, in, in other areas, like I know right now, because we, we did a Mezcalmania event in Pátzcuaro, um, and that was the first one we did, like just our table being La Luna, and I was down there, Hernán, Adrián, Adrián's like my, my right-hand man down there, and um, and a couple of the girls that were in the bottling line, we were all there, and the Mezcalerías, like actual like bars, Mezcalerías from Pátzcuaro, they came to our table, they tried it, they'd never heard of us. But they loved it so much. They're like, hey, we want this brand now. Like we, and for me, like it's super That's awesome. Yeah, I, I was super proud because I had people both Anglo from the U.S. that visit Pascuero because Pascuero's you know pueblo mágico, you know, visited so often that they were like, hey, we tried La Luna in Pascuero. I'm like, that's amazing. You know, like they didn't have it in New York. They didn't have it in Texas. They didn't have it in California. They had it in Pascuero. And I was like, that's, I would love that to actually be something that not just people that come back to the USA, but people in Mexico get to enjoy. Like that's more of a passion thing for me to be able to grow our footprint in Mexico. So dual citizenship, American, Mexican, uh, business in doing most of the business in the States for now. How do you structure this to make sense? Do you have a Mexican company? Do you have an American company? How how does La Luna works? Yeah, we have we have uh, uh, each Vinata has its own separate um, uh, organization, Empresa Acta Constitutiva, each different one, different players involved in each one. Um, I, I, I hold, obviously, a, a seat in, in each one of those. And then on on this side of the, on this side of the border, it's it's our company who is doing the work of marketing and selling and you know the relationship building it takes to build the brand. So it's multifaceted. I I wouldn't say it's the ideal model, but I will say it's our model today. And I don't know yeah. if that's how it would always be, but I think that we have done something that that at this point, especially for me on a personal level, has, is very special. And I feel like now at times you can sit back and find um, ways to to like pick it apart and say, oh, we could do this better. We can adjust it this way. This should be this way. Or, you know, I was just thinking about that today, actually, just thinking about like how importations will work in the future and how that, you know, all those things like 
it, it, it will pivot at some point. But for now, that's the structure is we have our team up here who see they and what that's what's cool about our team is they know our ties to what we're doing down there. So they feel really proud to be representing it, like from the from the ground down there to the bottle and label up here, you know, to a little yeah, bit so. of a different model. But that this, the structure is and that's the one thing I will say that everyone does really, really well is they all work their butts off knowing that they're making a difference in us being able to to grow our, our employment base down there. Like it's a big, you know, like they're. Last year, I think we had, I don't know, like, I think it was like eight or 10 people. Now we're like at 35 people working with us. Like for them, wow. it's, it's big moment. They're like, oh, you know, we, we have 35 people in Mexico on our team. Like that, that it's a big, it's a big statement, you know, and for us to be able to say we can grow that, like, that's just magic. And so how many binatas um, do you guys have now besides the one that you're, that's almost finished being built, right? The big one. We, well, with that one, we have three. But we rent another one across the street from that one. Um, the, the big while we were getting the big one ready, we were renting another one that wasn't being used, and so we were renting that one, using that one, and now that this one's being used, we won't need to rent that one. So it'll be three. It'll still be three. You're not just yeah. going to move production to the new larger. The big one. Yeah. One. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Wow, that's that's pretty incredible. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about um, the the process? You know how you guys go about. I mean, obviously, it's going to be you guys do a conical oven in the ground, right? Correct. Yeah, we it's a, it, we can talk a little about the mash, a little about fermentation. How? I mean, I know every expression is a little bit different, but I think mm -hmm. people would like to have a feel for um, whatever you want to talk about regarding yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so it's it's conical oven for everything we do. Um. We are sourcing our wood uh, from different uh, people around around Michoacan who who do that. Um, in in Etuquero, we're we're fortunate that most of the wood we use is from the same estate Isidro has, so a little bit uh, a little bit more efficient in that sense. Um, mostly Encino for cooking. Um, Encino verde is typically what we look for, uh, specifically a little bit more wet than dry. Um, so vol volcanic rock. Um, a little bit of bagasso above the rock before we load with oven, um, before we load the piña, sorry. And then petates on top of the piña and then close it up with our dirt. And that would be our oven. Um, and then macerating changes from, from vinata to vinata. In Cotija, we're hand macerating and there's two reasons for that. One, we built our little pila. Um, we, we have... Um, uh, or desgarradoras um, in the sense of uh, bigger wood mallets. Um, and while we wanted to shift to what we're using at the new Vinetta, which is like a tractor mill, it's like a, mm -hmm. it just really puts it in small pieces. Um, my uncle, who lives on the Vinata in Cotija, because it's still our family's hacienda there, my tío mm -hmm. Gonzalo, he loves working with the guys so much that he's like, don't bring that machine here because I want to do it. He loves. He's older. I mean, he's not young, but the, my family's always worked with their hands, and he loves that process. Like everyone always knows, Tio Gonzalo is going to be the one in charge of smashing all the agave. So that's why we haven't incorporated anything more efficient over there. Um, and those those batches would be smaller, right? They are smaller. Yeah, the oven there is like six tons. Um, it's not huge, but it's just more of a thing. He just becomes like a friend. Like he love he calls Adrian all the time. He's like Adrian. When are you guys coming back? When's the next tapada? Like he's just looking forward to the camaraderie. He he cooks some steaks and 
He just yeah. he, the, all the all our young workers that go to Cotija to work with Artio Gonzalo, they look forward to it so much because they get pampered so much by him. So yeah, they go over there. Uh, so over there is that. But in in the newbie, not that uh, we have this. Let me, let me ask yeah. you something real real quick about that. Is um since it's hand macerated, uh, are you bottling that as ancestral? No, no, we will, and only because the next step for like a CRM ancestral would be that it needs to be in clay pot. Um, okay. So in in Cotija we have the clay pot because that we actually as as a brand in doing this vinata there we are the ones that brought over the Filipino still the wood still to Cotija because all the 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 vinateros and the mescaleros there in that region they all have clay pot because uh, that area of Cotija is so close to like a lot of Raicia area of Jalisco it's like borders mm-hmm. right there that mm-hmm. the the clay pot is what was adopted for distillation in that area so um we have the clay pot there we will be using it we have used it we did a small batch a small run um with uh, uh uh bruto and chino and so we have a couple small batches but more honestly at this point it's been more for like personal consumption because we haven't bottled any of it and and it's just really good and we all i know it. but yeah. you know like i'm 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 poking you because i'm like yeah. I don't know when you start <laughs> bottling that and i know our yeah. listeners are going to feel the I, same way They're i will like, i oh. will when, nobody special you- releases when did you say that you were sending some to my house? <laughs> it's got to be soon, man, because I'm going to drink it all. It's got to be soon. We're running so, out of it. You know, with, with, with talking about production a little bit, um, so clay pot, stainless steel, copper, what what do you use? What is the most common it's a, yeah. distillation? So so I'll talk about um, the Filipino steel, the Tarascan steel, the wood steel. So it's going to be Copper Castle that we get done typically in Santa Clara del Cobre, which is a famous little town in Michoacan that, that works copper. Um, a lot of families that work copper there. So we get uh, Casos de Cobre, the wood still, and then we have a, a, a copper cone, uh, the, the, the one that actually does the where we uh, put the cold water for condensation. So that would be the makeup of our artesanal, I guess you would call it, right? Because that's, that's what the category fits for, um, for what we do. Um, and then on the clay pot side, it's it's clay pot um, on the bottom and then the clay pot uh, still on top as well. And then a copper uh, cone for that one. So and then for for um, fermentation, we're using all wood thinas, um, whether they're pilas and pilas just being that they're wood and submerged in the ground, um, like surrounded by cement or they're like standalone wood thinas. Um, with, that's what we use for fermentation. Like, how are you proofing? Like, how are you making the decisions about the cuts? Um, I know probably every producer, mescalero that you're working with has a bit of a different style, I would imagine. Um, but generally speaking, like, do you guys proof down with water? Is it puntas colas? Like, what's what's the It's situation? typically puntas colas. The cuts are, are so it's kind, of, it's kind of been this interesting dynamic because most of, like, you know, Hernan, for example, he comes from the family Abelardo's, his cousin, but it's like I said, it's like his uncle more because of age. And so, like, Abelardo has his opinion, which is imparted on Erdan. And so they all have had this, like, different take on it. So they all have a different take. But typically speaking, it's all mouthfeel, especially when it gets down to the colas. That's when they're usually tasting. They'd be like, okay, you know, we should cut it here. Um, mm-hmm. And they, they call the the first part that, that gets distilled la flor. And then, you know, you got your puntas um, to then get to the, to, to the cuerpo, the corazón. And so... It's it's twofold. It's typically done by palate, but um, Hernan, especially because being younger, he has implemented the use a lot more of an alcoholímetro just to kind of measure to be a little bit more on on his game. 
Um, so he'll take some out and then measure it out real quick and define what, what it is. But mostly it's all, it's all feel, um, and taste for, for everything mm -hmm. we do. Because Gabs, I know that you're probably thinking the same thing I am, which is, and a lot of the conversations that we've had, there's different approaches since you guys are bottling as mezcal and you're going through the CRM, mm -hmm. um, you know, proofing is, is a big part of that, right? Um, yeah. Because you're la you're labeling. And so what's your approach um, to that? Like, are you making batches um, and then like figuring out the proof and then just, just bottling it, whatever the proof turns out to be? Or are you looking to get like an exact number, like an even number or the, something? You know? up, in, up until right now, everything is, is hand uh, written in. So we've been just doing whatever the, the, whatever we get back as a, as an official analysis from the CRM is what mm -hmm. we end up writing in. So our batches have varied pretty drastically over the, over the, the years. Um, we've, because we moved distributions and just the way the system works with, with the dist distribution, I think there's been a question to that because the amount of item codes we're going to create, but oh for God, now, crazy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I didn't know that. I mean, for, we've never yeah. really worked with a bigger distributor, like with a lot of like back office sophistication, if you will. So yeah. I never, ever, ever thought about that issue, except for recently, it, like it gave me a headache. I'm like, what the and heck? You, and, you sh and you shouldn't. That's their job. Yeah. Why? Your, but... job, your, your job is to do the best mascot you can do. Their job is to figure out how to do all the mundane work of having barcodes of everything. For sure. <laughs> for sure. For sure. And so now for us, it, 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 <laughs> yeah. for, for, for us, it's been this game of just like trying to like analyze because, you know, it, it's it, it is if we could if we could print labels after the analysis and we had the time to do that, then it would right. be perfect because then then we would not have the girls have to hand label everything, which I'm sure for them is kind of annoying. But mm -hmm. at the same time, I always have these issues because even even today, um, I was offered uh, uh, a bottling line in Michoacan that's got a automatic labeler. And while that's fascinating and yes, more efficient when I was talking to Adrian, cause they basically offered it to me through Adrian. I was like, look, I was like, I love the idea. I was like, it's cool conceptually. I was like, and I'm sure, you know, they find a lot of value in us being, you know, with this great etiquetadora, this labeler that that's going to be efficient. I said, but we would reduce our, girls i was like so that we we actually are taking a step backwards in our you would be objective. eliminating jobs yeah we would yeah so for me it's like mm -hmm. we would actually take a step backwards in that regard and i'm not sure how I, I really i don't like that you know so i said i'd rather i said look because we never had a before we had the same amount of girls and we didn't have an actual bottling line and so they were literally filling up the bottles with a funnel and a, a, a plastic jar you know by hand Mm -hmm. And so to do a, a lote would take forever. And then recently we implemented a basically five spout um, uh, bottling line, but mm -hmm. we didn't have to reduce the girls because there was still enough for them to do after the hand label. And then they put the, the cello well, seed. And, the... and you have to like, so all the bottling is done um, on premise. Yeah. Then, is what yeah. you're saying? And, yes. and when you do like the washing of the bottle, does yeah. that, does that happen like yeah. with a system or something? Like how? No, before that was also with hand. And that's why I was, was going to ask. Yeah. yeah. So that was even more work. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, th so it was really ironic that the COVID hit um, because we were actually preparing our biggest batch or not biggest batch, our biggest load ever to come up very it was bruto tequila and our second batch of tequilana our second batch of manso sawayo um and a lot of the cuprieta um and 
we were getting all this ready and then COVID hit, you know, we were ready to launch New York. We should have been in New York by now like that, that we were supposed to be there 27 days ago. Um, and then we had Texas lined up and this, this COVID hits and everyone takes a step back and I get it. You know, I, I, I everyone's still like, Hey, just give us a little time. You're coming in. And, and so for example, New York, they're on board still just a few things need to clear. And for us, I was like, damn, well, we can't stop. Like, we, the, everyone was ready to do it. We got the bottles, we had the juice ready, like all these, everyone, like if we stop working, that's 35 people without work. Right. So we kept going and we implemented this line. And what was kind of, once again, the ironic was, although we had an, a more efficient bottling line because of the pressure of time to get stuff up, we had to hire more girls than we had before doing it by hand. Right. So it was kind of cool. And so I envision that continuing to be the case is the, the amount of girls we had this time would be what we continue to have, but definitely not remove the labeling side of it because then we would need less. And I don't think that'd be very, that, that right. wouldn't be appropriate to what we're trying to accomplish. I mean, quick question. Yeah. Um, are there, there, it's only women that you're hiring to do the bottling and the labeling? It, it, yes. For, well, for now, that's how, that's how it's worked out. A couple of the, a couple of the girls who originally started with us as bottlers now are like administrative assistants to the whole thing. That's really cool. They're the ones dealing with all the CRM paperwork and everything. Um, mm -hmm. And then a couple of the girls at one point tried to implement themselves with us in the production side as well. It didn't pan out for too long for different reasons, but for now, yeah, all of, all, all of the bottlers happen to be females. Yes. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure if there's a, a rhyme or reason to it today, but when, when we solicited, uh, work or, or people to come work with us that's mm -hmm. how the that's how the applicants rolled in mm -hmm. and now uh, some of them have moved over administratively so so they're um working with the crm to to get the i guess the new vinata registered and and then all of everything the Every, yeah. adrian still does everything yeah adrian, adrian who i know i've dropped his name but adrian really yeah <laughs> that that was a that was a centerpiece of of to me what allowed my vision to come to, to, to fruition. Like it was, it was, I met him as an Uber driver in Guadalajara. We became friends. And then at one point I said, Hey, I really would love for you to come, you know, be my right-hand man down here in Michoacan and, and, and be our, our boots on the ground, if you will. And after that happened, things really started moving for us. And he and I just have a, a, a great, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's, we were very compatible in so many ways and I don't have to say much to him for him to be able to go execute on things like flawlessly. And the one thing that I loved about him and I continue to love because it's, it's also been why we've been so successful in building more relationships is top priority for us is people in relationship building. And he does that so, so well that the dynamic of how, like, that's one thing I always tell people when I talk to him up here, it's like, look, it's tricky when you work down there because you do not talk to the, bottling the people selling you glass for bottles the same way you talk to the guy selling you agave to the guy selling you petates or selling you a load of volcanic rock everyone has a different dynamic because their upbringing's different the the word empathy really comes into play and at the end it's just he's really good at it because he's always been from there he comes from a very poor background and the his ability to be able to to uh foster relationships with especially agave farmers has been one of our keys to success because he's really, really, they become friends. Like they always, every time I'm down there and he's talking on the phone with them, I'm like, who was that? Like, is your cousin? He's like, Oh no, it's this guy who sells us a month of Hawaii. Oh, this guy. I'm like, damn, like, you know, we, it's not, 
it's not a buyer uh, seller relationship. We we develop relationships like family, and I think that that's why we've been able to work so well in Michoacan. You know, we we have been talking about a lot of the production and you kind of like painted the, the situation or how it looks, but something got stuck on, on my brain also. Uh, you say Ojo de Agua, and that for me means that you have a water source that is unique to a place. Yeah. Uh, Ojo de Agua is basically when is the, uh, is the birth of water somewhere, mm -hmm. you know, like, a, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, for some of the, some of the different brands and different things that, different people that we have talked, we talk water very briefly, but I think that is a very important point, especially like if you consider that you're in another state, that you have a different kind of uh, minerality in the soil, mm -hmm. and you might have a very specific water source. Um, have you have you done any testing? Just curious. I, you know, Gabs, you're, you're ahead of the curve when it comes to what we're doing, because I'll, I'll tell you what, this is a very interesting story. My cousin, um, Rafa, uh, uh, he lives here in California. He works for, um, for, the, for the water division of California, actually. So he goes around all of the, the counties and now you know, the dynamic of water and all the politics around it. So he sells water, educates on water, etc. And he's also, he's my primo hermano. He's also from, that, from Cotija and that um, hacienda, his family lineage. And he went with me to Cotija recently and we were there and we were producing and we were talking. And then he said, he goes, Primo, why don't you ever talk about the water? I'm like, what are you talking about? Yep. He goes, he goes, he goes, Primo, water, he goes, water is like the number one thing. Like what, where our bodies are made up of 80% water. Like wa water is everything. <laughs> he goes, water yeah. is everything. And he said, he goes, I, he goes, the moment that you, he goes, because he, he didn't understand me. When I told him we went to Cotija, and uh, we had a vinata there. He thought we had a vinata like on some corner street, you know. And then when he went up to the hacienda, he goes, I did not know the vinata was right next to the hacienda. I'm like, yeah, I told you that. He goes, I didn't understand it. He goes, that makes this way more special to me. And then so he started getting all creative with me. And he's like, why don't you talk about the water? He goes, do you have any idea what it's like to have water that's born here? That's like yep. your, your words, mineral rich. And you, you know how well that affects the fermentation and the quality of spirit you're getting because blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, honestly, I never thought, I was like, I concentrate on so many other things so much that I never, ever thought about it. And it dawned on me that, and it's weird too, because coming from working with tequila as well, a lot of tequila brands talk about their water, that it's, that's coming from a pozo, a certain, a certain well, or, you know, whatever, like there's always these trigger words that are used about yep. water. Mm -hmm. I didn't think about it with mezcal because there's so many other fascinating parts about mezcal that you just like, I don't know, it was an afterthought for me. And well, now I'm like, we're going to study the water. I want to know what the difference between Cotija water is, in the Parapel water is, Etuquera water is, because we get that one from a little streaming river. Like, I want to know all those things. So you're ahead of you're ahead of the game. And there's there's one more point that you have to look for. So yeah. Michoacán has Paricutín. Paricutín was a, a volcano. A volcano mm -hmm. uh, and I wonder, and it's just, just a thought, if you have volcanic stones for certain areas uh and and it's just you know it's, it's it's a wandering thought when you heat something very very high as you do when you do uh, a cook mm -hmm. and the stones are very very hot mm -hmm. and they have certain minerals that will react to the heat or not will react to the water or not will react to the humidity like there's so many chemical things 
that I don't think we talk as deeply as as we could or we should. You know, you have all these ovens that they're lined with nothing. They mm-hmm. have all these ovens that they're conic, but they're just river stones. You have mm-hmm. these ones that they're uh, they're concrete, or or they made out of adobe. Uh, you know, the the, the kind of uh, bricks that they use for uh, uh, a chimney. Or you have you have there's so many things that everything that touches the agave through the process will maybe do something. I think that the more we dive into it and as we as we all grow in this industry, because Mezcal is still so new to us, you know, as much as I've been in it and I feel like I, I, I know a good amount. I learned all the time. I'm sure you guys are the same. And that's why we're constantly educating ourselves and looking for more. I think that there's so many variables that are a part of the Mezcal spirit that that we're that we're gonna dive deeper deeper and understand it more than maybe than any other spirit because it's the most expressive in the clear state and you know what's 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 kind of curious about like some of the bigger categories like bourbon and rum etc most of the time we're talking about dark colored spirits that are influenced by barrels and bourbon's pretty loud about it they talk about how the barrel does a talking for their spirit pretty much they don't talk they, about ma- the they made it a si- they made it a science and exactly, that is amazing exactly. you know and and for mezcal you know you kind of using that it's more of an art that you have to you have to you know you have to figure it out and i think your point's well taken for me because for example cotija while the, the there's charanda soils and they're there's they're very wet because the water's so rich there and it's born there right and where, where our vinata is it was kind of it was tough to build a vinata because we had to use a lot more cement than other vinatas because if not it's going to submerge into the dirt so to your point we had to do a, a stone-lined oven there because if we would have left it just dirt, the agave would have sunk into the ground because it would have been wet. So you mm-hmm. had to do – whereas in Inaparapel, we have two ovens that you guys saw in the video when I was live. Two of them, have they're just dirt. They don't have any stone-lined uh, uh, oven there. They, two of them are. Two aren't. But that dirt specifically was so tight and so hard that we didn't have to. We could leave it be with the dirt and the, let the agave touch the dirt and blah, blah, blah because – the dirt allowed for it. It wasn't necessarily just our decision. The dirt and Cotija, it was impossible. I remember at one point when I talked to Adrian when we were doing it, he was like, "Hey, wait, no se va a poder." He goes, "You're not going to be able to leave this without stone because the sinks, the 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 soil sinks." And I was mm-hmm. like, "Oh well, blessing and the curse of such good soils and such so much water." You know, you're you're in a position that not many people that we have interview have very very few, but you're first generation. You're entrepreneur. You have the mindset of having something that is efficient but yet ethical. And there is a point that you can make decisions that other mezcaleros by 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 having a very specific upbringing of what they, they what their palenque looks like, and mm-hmm. they will never be able to change it because oh sacrilege you changing the or no sacrilege mm-hmm. that you're using another kind of steel. You don't have that. Mm-mm. Like you can appreciate, you, you guys th- can innovate. Exactly. Yeah. That's uh, that's what I was going to go. Like you know, uh, we have this amazing conversation with uh, Elisandro from Tosva, and they they did a kind of like a curved, uh, you know, cupola at the end of the at the end of their their one of the ornos to maintain the heat. Oh, interesting. And, and you think about it, like why why? Of course, it makes sense. You yeah. Know? And then you have, you know, we were looking at the last couple of things that our friend Rio from Estancia uh, was doing with the new ovens that they have. And, and it's like everything that is 
is done by young men and women in the in the field they tend to have a tiny bit of of of, of an influence they want to do something more like they're okay with what is in front of them and they respect the culture and the the history of the art making of mezcal but there's there's this tiny space especially if you're going to be able to build a a vinata from scratch you know i remember we were going back and forth with all the craziness of like using bio uh, geothermal energy yeah. and all that kind of stuff like you know there's there's a space for that uh, mm-hmm. that people might appreciate it or not sure that might be complicated a different sell to the older generation yes but it seems that you're you know surrounded by young uh young people and that might be up, up your your advantage to be able to do newer things yeah I, I, and we're with it i mean we're 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 totally open to those innovations with 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 with, with a certain focus on you know to your port the, the being ethical yes but like once again, going back to the scale of our of our vinata, the new one, the components that are going to be touching the ultimate spirit have not changed, right? Like that's one yeah. thing that I, I I did not want to compromise. It's I, you know, because I always tell people, it's like think about how much how much easier it would be for us to implement, you know, like it was, I don't know if you guys did you guys watch the the Ora Alegre I did with Esteban, with a from La Venosa, yeah. Oh, of course. And, yeah. And, and, awesome. and, and it was interesting when we were talking about that one specific Orno above ground. Remember the yeah. one that we were, t- I was asking him and it because he, he basically said it pretty clearly. He's like, no, they changed. He goes, they used to have earth ovens, but they changed it to that because it's more efficient. And in my mm-hmm. head, I was like, oh, that's interesting because even though I could have implemented more efficient Ornos in my, from my personal choice, I did not want to, like, I thought it was more for what we want to do. Like I was like, this is, this is truer to what we are. Right. And, and I, and first of all, that I see it from that particular place. I know everyone loves, so there's nothing wrong with what they're doing. It's amazing stuff. But at the end of the day, like for on a personal level, I wanted to preserve all the facets that originally were introduced to me in Michoacan. Like mm-hmm. those, those dynamics of, of historic uh, production fascinated me enough that I'm like, I don't want to alter that. I can yeah. alter the size of the vinata. I can alter the size of, of the vats, but I don't want to alter the ultimate things that, kind of made me fall in love with the spirit you eventually can can experiment experiment yeah absolutely is, is, is there's there's nothing wrong with it but i i i appreciate this the sentiment of of being truthful to to one start and and then being able to just go around like the same way that you know you guys started with, with the mezcal and then the rum and then the tequila like there's there's a way to diversify thoughts that not necessarily have to be fully changed correct i'm not opposed like listen i'm all about great conversation and taking it in and i'm not opposed because i think at the end of the day the one thing about me because of how tough this industry has been i'm the least judgmental about whatever someone else is doing so i want to hear about it not to judge it but to take it in to understand to learn and not to get an argument, but just to under, you know, like if someone gives me a product and it's great and they tell me how it's made and might be complete opposite of how we do it. I don't, you know, I, I taste good. My palate told me it tastes good. I like it. It's all good. Like I, I'm much less judgmental because I think we've been judged so hard and I get why I totally understand why it's fair judgment. It's all good. But from a personal level, I'm just way less judgmental. And so it makes it easy for me to want to have these conversations, to talk about them, to, you know, if, if Hernan comes to me with a really wacko idea that might be wacko to me, I, I don't take it as no way. I'm like, oh, let me think about it. Let me understand it a little bit more. 
Let me figure out if we can do it. And then let me get back to you. Right. Like that's the dynamic of the relationship and why I think we're able to to to, to work well together. You know what I mean? All, all the way through, because it's got to be a challenge for everyone working with us to be doing things that are out, out of the normal for them. Definitely. And I think I think listening is a really big component to that, listening to what people have to offer and to say and suggestions that could be made. We recently um, got our hands in a, in a very interesting write-up, an article. And uh, the one thing that it was super interesting that matched all this conversation that we have in is like, you know, how how the market was misusing the stories in some ways and being mezcal is all about the story. It's all about the culture. It's all about this amazing, you know, we have been talking hour and a half about this very specific things, but at the end of the day, it has to taste good. You can have the perfect story. You can have the perfect marketing and you will get to a lot of places, but if your use is not good, it just lasts for a little bit, you know? And, and, yeah. and I think what, what you're trying to build is, is more into the terms of like, uh, respecting a little bit or respecting a lot of the the historical taste of the region how things were made and how they they were shared and and i think you're you're in the right path i think it's pretty amazing i try i try and i think that that's spot on because at the end of the day i know that too well in this industry you know when when, I, when people say what's 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 the best mezcal i'm like the one that you like the best you know you know and and i know that from my perspective it's i want to make sure that we're trying to, you know, because it's not it's not a guarantee that every product you bring up is going to be great, right? But our attempt will be to, right? Like that's the reality. It's a uh, the word I always tend to use is intention. That's our intention, and that's what will continue to be the intention. That's true about everything we're doing. What intention we had about creating the vinata, etc. The intention for us is to try to challenge ourselves to make the best spirit that we can make. You know what I mean? And if and if hopefully everyone loves it or a lot of people love it, I'll be super happy. You know, but as long as that was intention, that's what we're bringing up. I'm, 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 I can sleep well at night. And that's, that's, that's everything right there. Um, two questions before we yeah. let you go. One is, do you guys have any plans on doing any cultivation of agaves yourselves? Yeah, we have actually as a separate endeavor, you know, never stopping. We have, a, 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 a another company with Adrian, it's called the Cultivado y Silvestre. Um, mm-hmm. and it's specifically around, uh, uh, agave. So, we are not. We are partnering with some municipalities and working amongst ourselves with people that are interested in investing in agave to to plant more, right? Because the really the the need and the idea came up when we went to Cotija, and the local president there, the the mayor, he he uh, approached us about, hey, we we know you're here, we love that you are. Um, do you think there's a future in growing agave? And I'm like, well, I think there is. And and he's like, well, we have a lot of people here who don't. That, that have a lot of land, but nothing to plant. Like what should we, I said, yeah. So, so we started collaborating around, okay, well, this is the part we can help with educational aspect of it, or the guarantee to buy it later on. Or if we can't buy it, we can find you a buyer, certain things like that, just to support the system. And so to answer your question, yes, we're heavily getting into that. Oh, I can't wait to hear more about that. Yeah. Um, and then as far as, I guess, with the new Vinata, um, do you guys have plans to, I don't know, maybe like what we were talking about earlier, innovation, perhaps with like any kind of sustainable practices, um, because you're building it from the ground up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so two things. Um, well, there's always this talk about like, for example, even as simple as solar energy, right? Like, because mm-hmm. l- electricity there is just, it's tough and, you know, but it's also the right purpose is to, to be able to do that for the community and for ourselves. Um, 
similar to other projects that 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 revolve around uh, bagasso and um, bricks, right? Like we we have conceptualized and are building even, for example, our fencing with Adobe bricks, so that we so we can have we we can repurpose our bagasso because right now it's just piling on and we don't have another mm-hmm. use for it, and we're partnering with local brick makers to do it. So from that perspective, there's those things always uh, happening, and then. From a, um, I'm not sure what the right term is, but I think Gab's hit on it, like the biofuel kind of concept of how do we repurpose using our bagasso maybe for fuel sources, et cetera. Mm-hmm. For um, energy, yeah. Exactly. Like that, that that was big for us because the one thing I always talk about while, you know, we always talk about uh, sustainability of agave, which I think is a very important one. Obviously, our company speaks to that, the, the Silvestre Cultivado. I've, I've been big on uh, deforestation and just how much wood... Uh, mezcal production takes and, and what, what impact that has on the future of trees. Um, and not because I'm, I'm big on that or anything like, uh, you know, on this side of the border, I'm, I'm not necessarily active in that sense, but I see it in mezcal production mm-hmm. specifically. It's amazing to me how much wood is used for, especially mm-hmm. us that we're constantly working. Like it's a lot, you know, from the Orno to maintaining the, the castles hot when you're distilling to obviously our wood, that's mm-hmm. our wood stills. Um, it's just so much wood. And so um, definitely repurposing some of our, our waste for energy in the sense of heat for our castles and stuff is on my mind heavily yeah. because uh, it can only, we can only go so far. I mean, uh, the one thing that we always brag about Mexico, especially Michoacan, is how green it is from like the trees and all that, the pinos. And, and that will go away if, if, if we don't control it to some degree. Yeah. Yeah, I know Gabs was um, asking about water like treatment, you know, because there's so much waste that that is produced. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess, you know, that's all kind of in future talks. For sure. And and, and yeah. definitely on our mind. But anything anything else that might you guys might come up with, like, you know, I, I, like I said, I'm I'm all ears. And if, quite frankly, one of the reasons I did a Hora Alegre was for me to be able to learn more and educate and talk because I think that's that's a big part yeah. of, of my growth. And, you know, I think as business owners to business owner, like, it, you know, you can't do everything all at the same time, right? But you can, you can have goals that you want to achieve and you can build in the idea of matriculating these processes, you know, into your, your, your production format or, you know, the structure of, of the Vinata, Vinata or whatever. Yeah. Um, I, I just want to make it clear, like, you know, we, we always ask people this stuff, but I don't want it to come off as like, well, how come you're not doing everything all at once? Because we know as, as well as anybody does that it's not that easy. These things are complicated, but even having the intention and the plans to do it, it means a lot. And following through with that means even more, you know? And so I hope because you guys are such a young company that we'll have an opportunity to keep following up with you guys. Yeah, I, I definitely. I, I would love to, especially in person when I finally make it to the East coast, but, uh, and well, we want to guys... try La Luna over here. We I haven't know, had a chance know, to get I, our I, hands on a bottle yet. I, I want to be able to pour it. We're, we're going to run this thing, uh, and I'll, and I'll talk to you guys about it, but we're going to definitely do these virtual tastings. That I think that, that I was going to tap into your guys' uh, brain a little bit for New York while we're all doing uh, yeah. Zoom, Zoom stuff. So we'll chat because I think that'll be the yeah. perfect way to get some in your hands. There's a lot to talk about for sure. But um, yeah. in the meantime, I just I want to thank you so much for coming on, Chava. I really appreciate it. Um, and yeah, hope that this is a one conversation of many that we have with you. I, thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it. It's always it's always a pleasure. Uh, it's been great getting to know you guys. And so thank you so much. Salut, Salud, brother. Salud. Salud.
Evening Cloudy is a production of Tuyo NYC. Brittany Prater is our editor. Your hosts are Gabrielle Velasquez-Zazueta and me, Sabrina Lassard. Our music is by Milagro Verde. Find them on Instagram at Milagro underscore Verde BK. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Salisita.